Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Starving Writers Guild Anime, Manga, and Comics Podcast. I'm your host, MC. It's excellent to have you here with us. So, tonight, uh, I'm recording this a week late because last week was kind of hectic, and it would have been a terrible time recording. Just, uh, not really bad health, just more headaches, and that's not good while recording, so I decided not to. And it kind of helps, too, that uh, uh, the week after this that I'm recording, Jump is on uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Break. So I was going to have a week off of that anyways. So I'm just, here I am. It's almost Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas to everyone out there and to whatever holidays you observe at this moment in time. Uh, who knows? Maybe you'll actually get this on Christmas. Probably not. <laughs> but, oh well, regardless of that, what have I been watching? Well, I have neglected to mention this whole time I've been watching Hawkeye. I just happened to think of that. And I am really enjoying Hawkeye. It, uh, his, his relationship with Kate Bishop in the comics was something I, I, I have known about. I've read some of the Young Avengers stuff, but I'm not, I don't know everything about her. And this was a nice introduction to her character. It's, I, I love, you know, seeing uh, the Chitauri invasion in Avengers from the eyes of a civilian and just how terrifying that was. And then to see her be saved by Hawkeye and want to idolize, you know, and then idolize him and then make herself in his image. It's like, oh, it's so cool a as a character concept, especially in MCU there. Because uh, I'm trying to think legacy characters have their... What legacy characters do we have right now? Um, well, we're going to have... Spectrum at some point, and I know Miss Marvel, uh, Kamala Khan, will be showing up, and I know they're changing her a little bit, but her power set. But I've always liked Kamala, and uh, Kate uh, and her relationship with Clint in uh, the Hawkeye series has been great. And uh, spoilers, real quick, in three, two, one, um, Kingpin is back, baby, <laughs> and. I have been waiting for so long, I mean, especially at, with our next topic, to have confirmation. Not necessarily that everything that happened in the Netflix series happened, but that some of it did, and it meant something, uh, is exactly what I wanted to hear and see. So, actually, the episode, the sixth episode, is dropping earlier this morning, but I will be asleep. So, uh, by the next time I record for the comics that were last week, uh, I may be able to discuss that, if I remember that I watched it. But on to bigger and much better things. Spider-Man No Way Home. I had so much fun watching this movie. It was, I mean, if you'll excuse the pun, amazing. It, it was everything that you could have wanted from this. Uh, I, I'm going to go pre-spoiler stuff real quick. Um, just dealing with the, the consequences of uh, Mysterio's uh, revelation of who Spider-Man is to the world and the way that Peter has to deal with all of that and him panicking and not thinking straight and thinking that you know there's only a certain way for him to do this even though it, it come to find out there are ways he could have done something. <laughs> but because, you know, a young teenager, you panic, you, you just do something stupid because... Uh, especially as a guy, you have an idea, well, let me do that. 
And okay, I think from now, uh, I'm going to go to spoilers in three, two, one. Yes, we got Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield back on the screen, and it was amazing. I, I'm not ashamed to say this. I cried several times during that movie. And I used to be the kind of person that would, you know, never cry at a movie unless it was based on real events. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little softer, I think in a good way. <laughs> and just have learned that, you know, it's okay to cry over fictional characters. And, oh my gosh, just to see, number one, we saw Daredevil before all that. And, uh... Only in his Matt Murdock persona. I was really hoping he'd join for the final fight in some way, but it wouldn't have made sense. As much as I wanted it there, it would have just been fan service versus, you know, the the good fan service they offered throughout this whole film. Which, by the way, this is fan service done right. And you could care that the writers actually, you know, loved and cared for the source material. Uh, and I will go ahead and I'll throw the sequel trilogy under the bus again. Because this is my podcast, and I can do that if I want. <laughs> because I'm not saying that just to be facetious. Just it's the love and care that came into No Way Home is these was this was made by someone who loves Spider Man. This was made by someone who loves the previous two installments of Spider Man. There were so many Easter eggs to you know the Sam Raimi films and uh was it uh Mark Webb was that the director of Amazing Spider-Man and two yeah it, just thrown there and then you have your MCU easter eggs as well and I loved seeing Peter and uh Tom Holland version like after the villains have come into his universe be had that moment with Aunt May we finally get the with great power comes great responsibility uh line and we get Uncle Ben mentioned for the first time outside of a What If episode. Which it took three movies to do that, but whatever. But to see him wanting to rehabilitate these people, because that's who Spider-Man is. Like, even though these are evil, these are villains. And yeah, he didn't see what they did, but he still cares about the people that he's fighting against. Yeah, sure, he's going to joke on them the entire time. But at the end of the day, if there's an option to help them become better than who they are, Peter's going to give that to him. And it was excellent to see, you know, Doc Ock have his redemption moment. Uh, Sandman as well. And I I could gush forever about this movie, so I'm going to keep going. And I'll, I'll tell you, the moment I cried the most. I, I started crying around Aunt May's uh, death there. And then, let's see. Um, it was when... Uh, Tom Holland Spider-Man tried to jump off and save uh, Michelle, and he couldn't get there because uh, the Green Goblin stopped him. But then Andrew Garfield came down, and he saved her, and he's got her in his arms, and he starts crying. It's like I lost it because he could he could save her, but not Gwen. It's like ah, oh, my my poor dark heart. See, oh, that movie was amazing. I, I know uh, I'm definitely going to have to remember to put like a, a spoiler section for how long I talk about this because I know uh, not everyone has seen the film yet. Um, and I do want to respect people who don't like spoilers, unlike me. I'm the weird one, like spoilers only amp me up. 
I mean, I knew pretty much everything that was going to happen in this movie because I read plot summaries before I came in. But it, that doesn't matter to me. It's like I can divorce myself from what I know when I watch something. So, it I don't know. I'm just weird like that. But other than that, uh, moving on from MCU stuff, uh, the Ultra series. I ha- I finished Ultraman Cosmos in uh, what's it been the two weeks since I recorded, and I gotta say, uh, it nailed its ending, and uh, it's up there for easy top five. I mean. Yeah, I'd say top five Ultra series for me right now. And it's just super, super good to... I've I've already gone on the whole pacifist thing, how much I appreciate that. So, uh, really enjoyed Ultraman Cosmos. I'd give it a... I'd give it a 9 or 9.5 out of 10. Then I moved from there to uh, Ultra Q Dark Fantasy. And for those of you who don't know, the first entry in the Ultra series is a show called Ultra Q. It's basically kind of a, a Twilight Zone with Kaiju, <laughs> for the most part. There are exceptions to that rule, uh, but that's essentially what it is. And uh, it was okay. It wasn't the greatest thing in the world. I enjoyed uh, some of the episode topics of, you know, they've got the little, uh, what was it, uh, Pigmon, but he, they called him Gara Q because he was in Ultra Q. Uh, those were fun. Uh, the oh gosh, what else? Uh, the, the the kind of Angel of Deathish Shinigami kind of guy episode that was fun. So it was super quick. It was only twenty four episodes, and I think it, it stayed, you know, exactly as long as it needed to be. But from there, we move on to Ultraman. Nexus. And I've got to say, if this keeps going the way it's going right now, uh, uh, Towards the Future may have a very valid threat against its number one status to me. (laughs) And I know, yes, nostalgia is a huge reason behind that, but Nexus has been kind of what I've wanted without actually saying it out loud for the Ultra series. It's, It's darker and edgier done right. It's not in a grim dark kind of way so far. Maybe that changes along the way. Maybe they'll sour me on it. But for right now, it's, you know, this giant creature shows up from nowhere. It kind of looks like a guy and it starts killing monsters around. Well, do you actually trust that? Do you actually know who this is? And it goes through that issue of the, the military organization in charge. Uh, what do they call it? Tilt, I think, in this one. Doesn't know whether, you know, Ultraman Nexus is a a friend or a foe. I mean, he seems to be trying to kill the kaiju, but uh, is is he doing it because, you know, if he kills them, then he'll have no one to fight him? I mean, those are very very valid questions to be asking. And, I mean, obviously we as the audience know Nexus is a hero. Oh, Oh, and by the way, our main character of the series is not the guy who turns into Ultraman. That blew me away. I I was co- completely taken by surprise by that. And I enjoyed immensely seeing, you know, uh, the backstory of the person who was actually Ultraman in this series. It continues like the darker and edgier kind of trend. But once again, in a way that actually builds hope in some instances, because he could have easily given up given what happened to him. And on the active war zone, who was a photographer and uh, a little girl he was looking after there uh, died in the crossfire in this little rebel war. 
but then he found uh the ancient artifact that holds that held Nexus and then bonded with him. So I'm guessing at some point in time he's probably gonna die in a series and our main character, uh Zakondo? I, I always get the character name screwed up. Will eventually you know, accept the mantle from him and then become Nexus. So I have that to look forward to. I gotta say Ultraman Nexus excellent so far i really hope it sticks its landing too but i do believe that's enough about that i've gone on for about 12 minutes and gushed about certain things we will move on and start our manga segment for the night and we're going to start with a yashiman chapter five a rare breed of human so last maruo defeated uh cube guy who has a name of the mama hagi or something like that and manages to knock him back uh surprising everyone there and uh the guy says hut the floor why is it upside down an earthquake wait no it's me i'm upside down and maru says sheesh i finally managed to land a hit ah my head hurts come on get up already unlike you i don't make a hobby of stomping on people's heads he says, ha, no, if that's what you think, then I refuse. I'll lie here and wait until I've fully recovered. <laughs> and two of the minions like, yeah, there's re not really a uh, time limit to this. He's uh, kind of petty. But Maruo punches the floor next to him and says, come on, don't be that way. Get up. If you're done, then give up. If not, get up before I drag you up. That was just starting to turn into a real fun fight. But this, this doesn't feel like a manga at all. As the floor crumbles underneath them, they fall through it. And uh, the guy dies. And Urara from above the floor, uh, the broken floor, says, You idiot! How could you wreck the office we were about to steal? I wanted to use this place. Oops, sorry. <laughs> and then the uh, little minions uh, start cheering him on for killing the boss. And they start placating him and says, You know, do you want anything? Can we give you anything to drink? And and Mara was asking, What is this? Some kind of like freed slaves rejoicing kind of thing? And Urara says, no, not at all. The typical yokai is typically, excuse me, the average yokai is typically whimsical, lazy, and irresponsible. They're completely amoral with no sense of right or wrong. If they're having fun, even life and death stop at meaning much. For yokai, the ritual duel is one of the greatest festivals there is. And they, you know, congratulate him more and Ten, you know, tells him that he's awesome. It calls him Big Bro Maruo. I'll follow you for the rest of my life. <laughs> and Maruo says, you're pretty darn flaky too. So, no, I'm totally serious about this, big bro. I mean it. You're my hero. You were like a manga protagonist. And that causes him to have this cute little uh, smile. And uh, the the other yokai there try to take him out for drinks. And he says, hey, Ura, I mean, elder sister, I like this ritual duel stuff. A Yashiman too. This really is the life for me. Thanks. I'm totally okay being your bodyguard for the rest of my life. And as he leaves, she's thinking... That fall crushed a yokai. There's no way a mere human could survive it. That, along with his other fights I've seen, tell me one thing. Maruo is probably a Marabito. Oh, great, another proper noun for the series. Just what it needed. <laughs> says, says the person who uses way too many proper nouns in his stories. <laughs> that is hypocritical humor at its finest. Uh, anyways, as she continues, uh, Sakata no Kentoki. Minamoto no Yoritomo. Tawara no Tota. And I remember, I know one of these names <laughs> from Japanese history, and that's about it. Uh, and that's Minamoto. 
and she says, uh, as she thinks, like these legendary strong men in Yokai Slayers, he is a rare breed of human born only once every few generations. Forget the random Ayashiman rabble. He has the strength to go toe-to-toe with the executives of a major syndicate. One of the dumbest things about this underworld is its reliance on the ritual duel, which disregards cunning and resources in favor of dividing thi- uh, deciding things by brute force alone. That makes Maruo the perfect piece for my plans. And as they're leaving, she goes to look through all the files uh, that the uh, boss had had. And she's thinking, an organization that dabbles in phone scams ought to have a list of phone numbers for most places in Shinjuku. Their preferred clients, their business competitors, they all have files files on all of them. From those, I can glean a general sense of the power structure across Shinjuku. She comes across one and says, Dopo Akari. So he's the current chairman of the Enma Syndicate. He's young. My next order of business is to quietly set up my office... Acquiring members and resources without attracting attention. And she's kind of looking at a file for Hashihime. She says, I can use Hashihime to get insider info on this syndicate. She's a secret member and an old one at that. She has connections to the syndicate's heart. I'll order her to find a way to get a top executive to share Sakazuki cups with her. Then at the ceremony, I'll have Maruo declare a ritual duel with Dopo Akari. My identity should be enough to, to convince him to accept. Then Maruo will win, and I'll get the family crest and a revenge from my father. And she turns around and says, hmm, I don't hear any sounds of revelry. And she notices that they are all kind of stuck, frozen in time. As a young man with uh, black hair and glasses is standing on top of the ceiling, kind of Spider-Man style, says, hello there. I'm with the Cabinet Office's Public Safety Police Force, Onmyo Bureau. And uh, she flies back, preparing to attack him if need be, and says, Oh dear, did I startle you? We detected a violent altercation with an undocumented entrant at Cafe Saraba not long ago. You know, if you could just put up a ritual duel barrier first, we really don't care how many buildings you wreck. But, well, with all the laws against organized crime nowadays, we have to investigate even the low-level things. So tell me, miss, did you make this hole? And she falls flat, uh, obviously... So from some use of his power and his uh, lieutenant or uh, fellow officer or whatever says enough of the jibber jabber number 11 she's just a monster we'll take her in by force Kagehito restrain her as this uh, weird being with all these seals on it uh, pins her to the ground and uh, covers her mouth and it seems like she can't even see it maybe uh, and the other one says, resist and I'll gouge out an eye or two. Don't worry, you'll regenerate them in a century or so. If that threat isn't enough, I could just kill you on the spot. The Onmyo Bureau has the license to do so. And uh, the other guy, number 11, looks at her, sees her in distress, and goes over and says, ah, number four, please. Using a shiki is a major deal. All I wanted to ask was, do, well, all I wanted was to ask a few questions. That's it. Her companion is just an average-looking human thug, too. Can't we leave it at that, please? The more we do, the more reports we have to fill out. I don't care. Well, I do. I do all the paperwork. And they both leave and say, Well, then, I'm sorry about all the fuss, miss, as they unsummon whatever that creature was. Uh, we of the Anmyo Bureau are always looking af- after the peace in Shinjuku, you know? Watching. Everywhere. All the time. So if you could keep that in mind. As they both phase through the building, kind of... Uh, Shadowcat style, leaving Urara alone. 
She says, great. Uh, she's thinking, great. Public safety has an eye on us already. We have to get away from here and fast. Rumors spread around the, this town fire, fest in a wildfire. And I can't have anyone finding out who I really am. Not yet. And 11 and 4 are outside, and he's calling one of his superiors, says, About the two undocumented. At present, they don't seem da too dangerous. Yes, yes. But there's something about the girl's aura that seems off to me. It's possible she's a headache waiting to happen. What? Me? No, no, no. That's okay. Please. I'm not a big fan of dealing with trouble. <laughs> Four says, Is there anyone who's a big fan of it? Uh, hmm. What about leaking the info to the Enma Syndicate? We can have them deal with each other. Uh, so I forgot to say this. I'm not going to speculate on what happens next for most of these chapters. Uh, unless it's like long. Because I've already read the next chapter. And that's kind of... <laughs> that'd be cheating to the max. <laughs> and low even for me. Uh, so we'll move on from uh, Ayashimon to Black Clover. And uh, this is Slash of the Unchosen. Asta is standing in front of Lucifero that's trying to manifest into the world. And he's saying uh, to the Black Bulls, if Libe and I try, we might be able to get the captains out without hurting them. And they all say as one, we're counting on you. Because, you know, the Black Bulls are a hive mind and <laughs> they have no individuality anymore. Uh, if they ever did. So Asta has left him and he's facing down Lucifero, bringing out his uh, Yami sword. He says... He's thinking to himself, and we won't let you down. And out loud, he's talking to Libe. He says, we can cut something like that, right? Libe says, yeah, we can, and we're gonna. In order to rescue Captain Yami, to avenge Lasita, we're not letting you into this world, Lucifero. The 30-minute interval is up. Devil Union. Force Sword. Demon Slasher. We weren't chosen by Mama. And so, we'll make our own choices as he slashes down, and we get Demon Slasher, Infinite Slash which cuts Equinox, which cuts through uh, Lucifero attempting to come into the world. We get a lot of reaction shots from everyone. Uh, Yami is falling down from this. And Asta says, Demon Slasher chooses what to cut. It's a katana that doesn't cut what it wants to protect. Um, I don't remember if this has come up before in Black Clover or if they're just saying this right now. If they're just saying this right now, really convenient. But if there was foreshadowing... I'm sure I'm, I want to give Tabata the, the uh, uh, benefit of the doubt. So uh, both knocked and Yami say, you really did it this time, Asta. And that is the end of the chapter. So obviously I know what's, I, I knows. <laughs> I know what happens next. Um, so I won't speculate on that, but this was fun. Um, like I, I said before, if, this hasn't been brought up before that the sword can do this. It's a little bit of a cop out. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's revealed later on that uh, Vengeance is actually possessed by Lucifero right now. Maybe uh, I can't remember if Vengeance gets saved in the next chapter or not. Uh, who knows? I only read it, you know, two days ago. Like. Uh, so now it's Black Clover. Uh, we will move on to Blue Box, uh, Chapter 33, When the Underdog Wins. Oh, poor Hina. Uh, so Taiki is talking to Haru, saying, Yodo, what's he doing here? And Haru says, he'll be attending this college next year. Sounds like he joins them for practice from time to time. And they greet each other, and they practice over and over again. 
and he uh, Taiki is noticing that Haru and Hiro are both practicing really hard, and uh, Hiro is uh, taking a an energy juice box or something like that. And he notices Taiki looking at him and says, you want it? And he says, no, I'm fine. And Taiki's thinking, he's unexpectedly friend, uh, friendly. And uh, Hyoda says, you, you know, when you feel cornered, you have a tendency to stiffen up. Just before you making contact, you overextend your right elbow. Relax more and save it for the moment of impact. Yeah, keep your wrist loose. Think about the angle of your shot more than the power. And Taiki practices this. It says, that felt great. And Yoda says, nice shot. If you were hitting like that, you might have been able to score more points against Yusa. So I was wrong. I, I, I couldn't remember names. So Yusa was actually the person that Taiki lost against uh, for, uh, forever ago. It was only like 10 chapters. Uh, but my memory makes it thing, seem like 100. And uh, Yoda continues, you made some pretty good shots when you were playing doubles too. But you tend to stiffen up when you play singles. It was a shame. That you were kept on the defensive the whole time. I think that with how things stand, the two who will get into nationals next year are Haru and Yusa. What about you? And Taiki's thinking, well, why is he asking me this? And Atlati says, I think so too. Plus, that makes it easy to understand. Haru Senpai always takes me on as his practice partner, but he's my goal. Yusa put me through hell last time, and I'd been hoping to get my revenge. It's nice knowing the clearest route I, that I should aim for. Even at the moment I'm no match for them, I'm the type who can work harder when I'm chasing something. And uh, Hiro thinks to himself, even so I think it'll be pretty hard. The guys you're chasing are ahead of you because they know how to exert themselves the right way in the first place. But I like it when it's the underdog who ends up winning. So uh, they leave practice. And, you know, uh, Haru's thinking that the next time they'll all meet, it'll be a Nationals. And he asks, uh, Taiki, what are you doing after this? Taiki says, I'll be meeting Kyo and some others at 6 o'clock. But he looks at his phone, sees a text that Kyo has suddenly come down with a fever, so I can't go to the fireworks. It's like, yeah, I'm sure, buddy. Sure you're not just trying to uh, be smooth right now. And Kyo is glasses coon, for those who don't know. <laughs> And he says, you know, I caught what you had. And he says, you go, just the two of you. Uh, so Taiki tells Hino what's going on. And he goes to the festival by himself. Uh, trying to look for her. She says she'll be a little late. And he's looking around. Uh, he thinks he sees Chinatsu for a second. But it was someone else. <laughs> he says, I nearly had a heart attack. It's her hair doppelganger. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times this happened to me with people I've known. It's just, it, by the hair alone, it's, oh, that's obviously them. Then they turn around and say, oh, no, it's obviously not. <laughs> so he's thinking to himself, even though it's the same chase, the fact that it doesn't just go go one way is what makes love even harder than badminton. Uh, obviously thinking of Chinatsu there. And he sees the candy apples. And he, says, and he thinks, I remember that Hini likes those. Maybe I'll buy her one. And he buys two as well. And from behind he hears, are you going to give that to me? And he turns around and says, I was going to ask you to pay me back. And he sees her in her uh, yukata. And she's looking very cute. And she asks, what is it? He says, oh, uh, that'll be 300 yen. She says, okay. And that's the end of the chapter. So knowing what happens in the next chapter, it's kind of what I suspected would happen. 
I'll go into more detail there. Um, but, I mean, maybe the underdog will win. Maybe Hina has a chance, but I, I'm not seeing it. And I feel bad for the girl. I probably said that like a hundred times. <laughs> and I don't know. Uh, what else can I say about that chapter? Nothing much. So we will move on uh, from Blue Box to, if I can get to the right one, Dr. Stone. Z equals 222. That is Science Road. Uh, if you're wondering what all the typing was, I just remembered I forgot to put Spy Family up. So that's what I was doing. I'm really professional, guys. Uh, so Dr. Stone, 222. And we see uh, Zeno and Senku and Yuzuriha uh, making some type of clothing that they're going to make spacesuits out of. So we get the formula. We have uh, salt, electricity, petroleum, chlorine, uh, naphtha, which makes uh, vinyl, polyvinyl chloride. Then we have fluorite, silica sand, which makes silicone rubber. And we have aluminum by itself, which makes spacesuits for everyone. And, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I, oh gosh, names, names. I know who you are. I've said your name several times. Ukyo. <laughs> uh, it says, uh, didn't they mention the three sacred treasures for the moon mission? Well, here they are. Spacesuits, rocket engines, and spaceship. Kawaku says, so we're ready to bring the fight to Y-Man, right? And uh, Chrome is looking over everything with uh, Suika and says, but what's this vinyl stuff? <laughs> uh, trying to say vinyl. And uh, Taiju says, I guess the Ishigami villagers never heard of it before. And... Oh gosh, why am I so bad at names tonight? Yo! Uh, says, now nah, I'm not saying anything. Chrome's already 10 billion times smarter than us when it comes to science. And he's, he thought, you know, obviously they don't know what it is. And Sinko says, we got people all over the world to quickly run through the literal rocket science while ignoring plenty of other stuff we could make. So how about some last minute crafting projects before the moon launch? We can whip up just about anything. <laughs> And we get a bunch of requests, uh, including a washing machine, video cameras, uh, jacuzzis, uh, protein powder, PS5, <laughs> a robot maid. And Sinka says, uh, -uh, not possible to do everything. Uh, we says, but I desire everything. <laughs> so uh, Sinku later on with uh, Kaseki. And Suika and Chrome watching on says, we've got experience making cell phones and radar. And this uses simple electromagnetic waves, too. Take a basic metal box and make those waves bounce around like crazy. We get microwave oven acquired as he's made some uh, rice for everyone. And every, all the Ishigami villagers are noting that, you know, the rice was just cold, but now it's hot. And Sinku says, uh, the microwaves get the water molecules and food all like You know how the TV signal gets crappy when it's raining? Same idea. It's like we're zapping the teeny tiny raindrops and food. And Rishu says, ha and now, speaking of reheating leftovers, we can take that vinyl created for the spacesuits, stretch it out real thin, and voila, plastic wrap. We get plastic wrap acquired. And Nikki says, we're back to the 21st century dining, basically. And next is the washing machine. 
which it gives to Yuzeriha. And next is a, a video camera for, oh gosh, what is what is the reporter's name? Let me look through my handy dandy sheet. A Minami. How many times have I had to do this? Just tonight alone. That's bad. Um, it gets more requests for pocket hand warmers. And Taiju comes up and he's about to ask for what he wants. But then Senku says a smartphone, right? And everyone's surprised. And Senku smiles and says, We're making the Liquid Crystals touchscreen for a smartphone. It's not like there's actually a crystal that naturally comes in liquid form. You'd expect crystal to be solid, but this stuff flows like liquid. Kind of exists in that weird in-between state. Hence, liquid crystal. Lots of different ways to make it. Take this easy example. At in Buda... Oh, I did not practice this one. Uh, Budalanilene. Synth synthesized. That is a terrible word for my lisp. How dare you, Dr. Stone. <laughs> from aniline to toluene, derived from petroleum and... Uh, nothing easy about this example, again says. And Chelsea uh, remarks that it smells like Chinese food. And he says, that's because of the uh, methoxy benzaldehyde, obviously. And Ginkatuji, nothing obvious about that, I'm afraid. And start with glass with these grooves. Then pour Mr. Liquid Crystal over it until the substance fills the grooves in nice little lines. Next, we need glass with the grooves going the other way. Sandwiched between the vert vertical and horizontal grooves, Mr. Liquid Crystal gets twisted around, creating a pathway for light. Sort of like a twisted tunnel going from lengthwise to crosswise. With the press of a button, we can give it a zap. The electric shock makes Mr. Liquid Crystal straighten out, so the twisted tunnel doesn't allow light. Those are the spots on the screen that appear dark. All that's left for our Liquid Crystal display is to add two sheets of vinyl on top. Wherever you touch the screen, there's an electric reaction. Our liquid crystal touchscreen is complete. We get smartphone acquired, and Taiju is freaking out. He says, oh, man, I can't believe it, a real smartphone. <laughs> and we pull out, and he's got this gigantic backpack. <laughs> Just so they can have enough processing power to make this smartphone work. And everyone else goes, oh, no, it's huge. And uh, Sai says, the core of the phone is still an actual computer, after all. And Sinku says, enjoy your 40-kilogram smartphone. <laughs> Taiju says, you know I will, as long as the part you hold is pocket-sized. And Sai says, and look, the LCD lets us text, email, and even play video games. And uh, Chelsea says, Sinku's such a sweetheart. All that hard work making the LCD, just for his bestie Taiju. And Kwaku says, we all know there's more to it than that. And Sinker says, yep, I got an ulterior motive. Our spaceship is going to be crammed full of touchscreens because brawn tube TVs get wrecked by turbulence. This instantly cuts down on mass and volume, which is great because keeping total weight, low is key, total weight low is key for our piecemeal round-trip rocket. We get spaceship cockpit acquired. And we get our uh, chart. They start with stone, stone tools, then trees, fire, Iron sand, iron, saw blade, gears. Let's have earthenware, grapes, and alcohol. Uh, it's like we build a chain one link at a time, Kawaki says. Start to finish, it's all connected by the old familiar scientific roadmap. And continuing, we get a uh, water wheel, which makes electricity, light bulbs, and uh, this is going in 50 different directions, so you can just read it for yourself for that part. <laughs> and Senku's uh, remembering it when he first came out. Uh, and when he got Taiju out, and he says, we finally 
made it this far, starting with a single stone. And Zena says, our grand launch is at hand. Time to end this fight on the moon. And we get moon rocket complete. This was a very sweet chapter. Um, obviously, Senku being Senku, his ulterior motive was to make things easier for him. But he had to do it in his little soon soon way. <laughs> of Yeah, I, I'm making gifts for you guys, I guess. But I think... This is actually him, like, if I don't make it back, you know, maybe I can help everyone by, you know, making things they need. Like, you know, they need washing machines, you know. Uh, they'll need video equipment for recording stuff you know, across such distances. So I think the big softy is just trying to leave, leave something behind for everyone. <clears throat> and that is it for Dr. Stone. So we will move on to Daran Dararan. Chapter 3, Genshiyo Yagyu. She has a name! Could you imagine that? It only took three chapters. Uh, it starts off with uh, uh, people complimenting her and her saying, like, you know, it's not enough what she's done uh, because uh, people still die. She says, I refuse to let a single person die. I'm going on patrol. And these two guys say, uh, Miss Kinchio, uh, despite being the cream of the crop, she still goes out on patrol every day. I respect that. And she, <laughs> thinking to herself, she says, I won't let anyone die. It'll affect my future promotions. So uh, some complexity here. Kind of like it for her. And uh, we get uh, Dora's landlord saying, you flunked. I gave you an extension on your rent because you said you were shoe in as a public servant. Get out. Fight today. And he closes the door. Then Dora talks to Kusanagi and says, Uh-oh, now we'll really be stray league samurai. I mean, homeless samurai. And Kusanagi says, It's my fault. I'll go. Wait a minute. How's it your fault? Well, you're always feeding me super fancy foods. And we get a, a little imagined spot. It, it's just ramen. And stuff like that. But to Kusanagi, it's amazing. And Dora says, You leaving won't make me any less broke, you know. And also, we're sticking together. If you leave, we leave. You're not bailing on me now. We have an agreement. Got that? Yes, got it. And uh, there's a knock at the door. And he says, Oh, you're back, isn't it? A bit soon to kick me out. Give me a minute. But then he sees her there. And she says, uh, Mid Samurai Izanagi Corps, Ginchiyo Yagyu. He says, Huh? You have some kind of business with me? I wouldn't come to a place like this if it wasn't for work. It's dingy and kind of reeks. I just no work for a samurai here. And she looks inside. And says, "Oh, you think you think you're hiding?" As she has detected Kusanagi with her powers, and rushes forward to kind of try and slice at it. Uh, Kusanagi avoids her. Dora appears to protect them. And she asks, "Why are you defending a Mononoke?" Uh, he says, "It's not a Mononoke. It's a new species of snake." <laughs> So maybe it is really is a Suchinoko. Uh, and she says, moron, the supernatural energy is an instant giveaway. I'm very sensitive to it. She says, oh, for real? <laughs> well, fine then, Kusanagi, katana. Uh, but Kusanagi says, no, Dora, I don't want to. He says, sorry, you're right. She says, if you don't release that Mononoke, I can't guarantee your survival. Uh, he flips uh, a table over to get out of the way. And she detects... Kusanagi and slices forward, but she forgot to look for him as he takes her from behind, grabbing her uh, by the neck. It says the old switcheroo worked. 
And she thinks, I was too focused on a supernatural energy. This guy doesn't give off any at all. <laughs> and we see that Kusanagi had actually uh, changed his appearance to kind of mimic Dora's hair for a bit to trick her. And she mm, hits him from behind with her elbow and says, knock it off. If you chill out, you can go home unscathed. And she says, kill me. Go on, Mononoke. It's your chance to kill a samurai. But Kusanagi says, I don't want to fight a samurai. And Dora uh, kicks her, excuse me, shoves her away and uh, tells Kusanagi to run. And she yells back at them why they're doing that. He says, whatever, samurai aren't our enemy. We only slay evil Mononoke. He says, thank you, Kusanagi. And next time it seems like I'm making a bad call. Just give me a good kick. And she rushes forward and says, you pass. What are you talking about? I was testing you. Of course, I did sincerely pursue that Mononoke. If you were weaklings, there'd be no point. I understand it's super annoying when someone tests or evaluates you without your consent. Whenever some idiot CEO says, you pass, I'll date you, I tear him into pieces. Uh, psychologically, that is. He said, uh, you kind of lost me, but if that's the case, then don't test us. <laughs> but it's okay when I do it. <laughs> Uh, your ethics are a matter of life and death. I had to see for myself, not just rely on the testimony of others. And he thinks, oh, now you're all pompous. If we were evil, wouldn't you be dead by now? And the landlord has come saying, you know, you owe me a million lin, uh, uh, lin, yen. And she offers him some money and says, it was my fault, sir. Take this. And he walks away and they leave the apartment and she's happy because she doesn't have to smell it anymore. And she says, I'm a very effective samurai. So what? And Kusanagi says, oh, you're important? But no matter how good I am, I can't protect the whole town alone. I need strong collaborators. Cooperate with the samurai. Andor looks at Kusanagi and says, is that allowed? Cooperating with the Mononoke? She says, oh, I doubt it. It's probably an act of treason, I think. <laughs> but if there's a chance we could save even one person, I think we should try it. We can report after the results. And, uh, Two opposite reactions to you. Dora thinks she's nuts, and Kusanagi thinks she's cool. And Dora asks, uh, what do you think, Kusanagi? Well, I think it's great. It's a miracle. And she says, hmm, who just paid your rent again? If you work with me, you'll get paid, too. Thinks, oh, she sure knows where to strike. It's what we're doing anyway, so it sounds like a good deal, but if this is a trick so you can kill Kusanagi, you'll regret it. She says, I wouldn't do that. I need you to, to advance my career career not to save people saving people is synonymous with advancing my career and career advancement is important to me and she's thinking i'm going to advance faster than anyone just wait eugene she says out loud show me what you've got for my advancement and dora says for my rent and kusanagi thinks and we're going to make the world a nice happy place so i guess i am enjoying duran um not exactly the most complex thing in the world, but you don't need to reinvent the wheel every time you make a new manga. So I will definitely be keeping this in the podcast uh, as opposed to a certain other series that debuted not too long ago because this one's actually fun. So we'll move on to The Elusive Samurai. Uh, this will be chapter 43. Uh, military Strategy, 1335. 
So Tokiyuki is trying to get everyone to flee because he knows there's going to be a surprise attack, which happens exactly as it says that. And we get some narration that says, When enemies spring a surprise attack from the rear, roaring at the top of their lungs, few people can maintain their composure. Panic breeds more panic among those who are attacked. So it's common for a smaller force to be, dis to be able to disperse a far larger one. And in the midst of this, Tokiyuki is facing off with Shokan, who was the name of the uh, bandit he fought a while back. And Shokan says, The battle began at three locations. I expect that the numbers in the north and south to balance out within a few days, causing troops to move to the decisive fight in the center. My analysis of each force suggested the final battle would occur on the fourth day of combat, so I spent three days traversing the mountains. I also took intelligence on the Kakushi's secret weapon into account. It would not be decisive, but would serve as an amusing distraction. As everyone concentrated on the Kakushi's Mikoshi, and Hoshina and Shinomiya divided their forces to deal with that, my force, hiding in the mountains, suddenly advanced on Shinomiya's main camp for a surprise attack. Tujumaru Dono. This is military strategy. You may flit around and beat a minor commander to defend a village, but if you can't read the shifts in a major conflict, you will never achieve any grand aims. You should have learned the art of war from Kusunoki Dono. Unfortunately, you didn't. Now be a good boy and die. And he rushes forward as Tokiyuki is fleeing on a uh, horse, <clears throat> along with the rest of his team. And uh, uh, Sanamune has appeared and says, Well done, Shokan. Your strategy worked perfectly. I seized this moment to break their defenses. Now we press on to rout Shinomiya. And Shokan says, Yes, my lord. And Tokyu is in narration. Uh, we get uh, a single gambit by a single warrior reversed the entire course of battle. This is war. This is strategy. And Tokyuki apologizes uh, to Shinomiya as they manage to get to him about not noticing sooner. But he says, don't be ridiculous. A warrior cannot leave everything to children. The only concern right now is how to manage the defeat. Much like Hoshina's men before, my retainers will be uh, reluctant to abandon their land. But if they turn and fight, death is certain. And uh, as they're running away, uh, Mochizuki Dono uh, manages to slice through uh, a bunch of men. And in the midst of this too, Ayako is apologizing and says, oh, sorry, but he hit some allies too. Can you help them? <laughs> and Mochizuki Dono says, I have a message for Shinomiya's fighters for, from the three great generals of the Suwa sect. Flight is one path to victory. I'll buy time for you to retreat to Hoshina's territory. The day will come when Suwa Miyujin rises. Live on in expectation of that day. And I'll get emboldened, says, yeah, we can bear any humiliation until then. As they didn't retreat. And, um, I'm going to say, uh, Mochizuki-sama was at the north battlefield, so why is he here in the center? And Yaku says, as soon as, as soon as my father heard my report, he scoffed and rode out. And he says, yes, the enemy was so lackluster in the center that I worried they might be planning a shocking upset. <laughs> and Tokiyuki thinks, uh, that, that was reckless, but I'm thankful. <laughs> uh, we never had much chance of a victory anyway, because Yoroshige-sama still can't show open opposition. In case of defeat, both Inukai and Tokoiwa have orders to hide deep in the mountains where Yoroshige-sama has prepared supplies and lodging. This was simply a preliminary skirmish. Yoroshige-sama's goal is to minimize casualties and further unite the Suwa sect. And Tokiyuki thinks, Yoroshige-dona's intricate calculations are on a different level from Shokan's. 
And Machizuki continues, As for you, young lord, in your devotion to the Suwa sect, you rode day and night, thereby earning the admiration of all here. In the next big battle, we, the people of Shinano, vow to offer you our full cooperation. And that is the end of the chapter. Uh, so I might have mentioned this before. Uh, maybe it was in an episode that got lost. <laughs> Who can remember at this point? Uh, I'm glad that we're having this moment right now of... Uh, the elusive warriors and friends uh, having a defeat early in a series because you know it raises the stakes but at the same time you know it doesn't make them feel invincible it, it gives some uh, clear goals for later on so I, I really enjoyed these past couple of chapters even though it's it's hard to keep track of names uh, but I mean the elusive samurai has been amazing and I'm so glad I decided to cover this on the podcast. But after that, oh yes, we have an important moment here. Um, a moment of silence, please, for the Hunter's Guild, Red Hood, and our good friend, Big Joe Bonkers. Thank you for participating. <laughs> As uh, Oh, I forgot to say, uh, if I remember, I will be covering the first chapter of um, the JoJo's uh, what is it? Um, I can forget the name for it, but it's Whole Horse and Josuke teaming up in Morio. Uh, that was a very fun first chapter. Uh, I can't remember where it happens in the timeline, but if if I remember, I will put that on my list to actually cover on our next manga episode. Well, forget about that for now. We'll be going on to Jujutsu Kaisen, Chapter 168, Tokyo Number 1 Colony, Part 8. Well, I was completely wrong about where the eye came from. <laughs> uh, I guessed that it would be Nobara, uh, you know, c considering what happened to her eye. But, you know, because it explodes next to Megami. And uh, Reggie says, and then says, hey, I'm down here too, you know. And we get Yori Hazanoki, uh, 35 points, asking, is he dead? <laughs> and Megami gets up, manages to fight Raimi and slam her down to the ground. I start, had enough. And uh, he's attacked by the other guys and uh, realizes, oh, the smell. Gasoline. As uh, the other guy uh, tosses something at them to explode. And he barely manages to save himself and Raimi. And uh, uh, both he and Reggie are talking. Uh, not Megami. Uh, what's his name? I just said his name. Let me scroll up. Uh, Iori. Are both talking to each other. It's, and he says, Not yet. Like you, he ducked into a room before the explosion. He's good, but. And we see Registar points 41. Which, are, if I remember correctly, sorcerers are worth 5 points and regular people are worth 1. So he's at least killed a normal person. At least one. And uh, we see Fushigoro uh, holding a door open uh, to protect him and Raimi from the blast. He's saying, do you understand now? They'll never protect you. If you get that, then get lost. And she has put her hair forward to try and uh, keep him from going. And he says, you need to stop this. She says, then say it. Reggie said it. Say you'll protect me and that you like me. You gotta say it. And he says, so you're like that, huh? Trasher cares more about words than deeds. Not back there. 
but you're in, oh, uh, this is uh, the guy from earlier uh, saying, not bad back there, but you're in rough shape. It wasn't easy uh, clambering up here. And this is Chizuru Hari, points 28. And um, Megumi says, should have taken the stairs, moron. As he's thinking, 4-on-1 is going to be tough, but I need their points no matter what. But then a Kogane appears. And it says, a player has added a rule to the culling game. A player has added a rule to the culling game. Rule 10. Players may transfer a number of points of their choosing to another player. And Megami uh, smiles. She figured, oh, obviously Yuji did something. And this distracts him enough. Uh, excuse me. This distracts uh, Chizuru enough for him to attack him. He summons Max Elephant to knock him off. And uses it to escape. And he slams the guy into the ground. He says, you, how dare you? And he's thinking, what am I doing? We'll need more points in the future. But there's no need, no longer any need for Sumiki to participate in the killing. Don't lose your head. Trust in the others. You don't need these guys' points. All you need to do, as he has managed to kill Chizuru. And the Kugani says, you have won five points. As he continues thinking, is wave away any sparks that fly your way. And Reggie has... <laughs> <laughs> appeared Mary Poppins style uh, uh, with his umbrella with uh, Iori and says, ah, oh, what a waste of points. Killed before even using his curse technique. Appalling. And Fushigora thinks, did Raimi leave the fight? But it's still two on one. And I'm feeling that first explosion so I can't flee. Maybe I should use my domain. But it's incomplete so I can't seal the barrier to trap my opponents. If I expend the effort to bring it out and they run off only to come back, that'd be really bad. But in the midst of this, uh, Yori has thrown out one of his teeth to explode. But before he can be hit, we get, hey, careful! As everyone's very confused by this strange figure who's come up, who continues, says, two against one, does that really seem fair? There's a word for people like you. Yeah, that's right. Cowards. And cowardly attacks don't work. See? Zero damage! <laughs> and we get Fumihiko Takaba points zero. As the strange man is kind of like half naked and then half in this uh, black and white outfit and he's clearly bleeding <laughs> from the attack. Um, to those that don't know, I had to get a reminder of this. This guy actually appeared 20 or 30 chapters ago. Uh, he was a comedian that uh, awakened to uh, uh, a, his cursed technique stuff in the midst of the calling game, if I remember correctly, or maybe after the October 31st stuff. So, I've already read the next chapter with him in it, obviously. And I, I have mixed feelings on his actual character, so we'll get to that later on. But that was Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, we'll be going next to Kaiju. Uh, number 8. Uh, episode 52. The piece that was entrusted is heavier than trust. Whale. Uh, we get a flashback. Uh, General Shinomiya is talking to Narami. says, once we finish forming the strongest unit, I plan on completely withdrawing from the battlefield, Narami. <laughs> so add, add another death flag. <laughs> uh, can, can this be called a death flag right now? <laughs> After we know what happens? Like, it's, uh, uh, whatever. Uh, it's, uh, continuing, I'm counting on you to take care of this country and the defense force. And in the present, we see uh, General Shinomiya's body standing over Kaiju number nine. 
and Kafka appears to, uh, Chief, thank good. But then he realizes what's going on. He shows up, Commander Narami, that. And Shinomiya's body turns around. And it's this weird amalgamation of kaiju and human. And it is pure nightmare fuel. And he fires off a beam as Kafka says, that isn't a chief. They barely managed to get out of the way in time. And Kafka says, what power? It's completely different from before. Is this really kaiju number nine? And uh, Narami is uh, on his comms asking for uh, Mr. Isao. Where are you? Do you copy Mr. Isao? And kaiju number nine says, ah, Isao, you're talking about this about the compatible human. I killed him and fused with him as he uh, brings the earpiece out. And Narami says, who would? And who would, uh, this is uh, Kikoro, uh, believe something like that as she attacks him from above? And Kaiju number nine says, I see. So you're his daughter. And Kafka says, don't look, Kikoro. What do you think you're doing? And, uh, this is Narami. What do you think you're doing to my soldier? Uh, oh, that's the unavoidable attack used on Beta. We get troop style bayonet technique first form explosion strike. And here's the general saying, take care of this country. And he's thinking, Mystery Sal, I promise that in your place, I will defeat this monster. And Kaiju number nine says, ah, oh, sorry. Let's call it a day. As he's grown these kind of like dragonfly-esque wings. I mean, they're a bit more, I guess, meatier than that. But that's what I first think of. And he's thinking, uh, it says, I sent signs of rejection showing up right after I fused. So I'm going home. And Army says, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way I'm letting you go. And he attacks him. And he says, your ability is restricted to enemies few in number. On top of that, when the enemy's defense exceeds yours, you become powerless. As Kafka attacks him, uh, saying, give the chief back. And between the three of them attacking, Kajino announces, I didn't have the means last time, but I was able to see it this time. Kaiju number eight. And that is the end, unless... Manga Plus has screwed me over <laughs> once more with its loading capabilities, loading everything out of order. Uh, that's actually, okay, that's actually the end. So, wow. Um, expected and unexpected. I thought that he'd for sure just fly away or, you know, escape the battle somehow, but it seems like for now they're forcing his hand. Uh, and I also guess correctly that it'd be because, like, the fusion wasn't complete yet. Maybe there's still some part of the general in there who's fighting back. So we will see. And we will move on to Magu-chan, God of Destruction, Chapter 71, The Evil God of Heart. And we start with Rin, with Nabutaku, uh, who says, They said that Ruru is being held captive at the top of these stairs. And it says, Hold on just a little longer, Ruru. Uh, Ruru. We're coming to rescue you. Those RR sounds kind of really screw me over. <laughs> and Napataku asks, Are you sure it was okay to leave that stupid Holy Knight kid back there? He doesn't stand a chance against Uneris. He'll manage one way or another. After seeing the final attack of those five weirdos who run this place, I get the sense they're not all that great, and just maybe, Izma's a lot stronger than we think. As Izma is fighting Uneris over and over again, 
Uh, Unair's is thinking, I can't maintain my built-in provenance. Izum is cutting through all the chaotic power. The magical item I left for him isn't capable of that. Izuma has reached new heights. And she says out loud, this is some stiff competition. It kind of makes this weird uh, gym thing to attack him. And Izuma says, I won't let you seal him away. I will stick with the justice I believe in. And Unair says, I see. So that's the path you've chosen. As we flash over to uh, Rin and Nabutaku, says, there it is, a door. Ruru, are you okay? As they bust through. <laughs> and we see uh, Ruru and Sarah are both cooking a meal together. And Sarah says, yummy, what is this super tasty soup? And Ruru says, I'm happy you like my miso soup so much. Says, oh, Rin and uh, Nabutakun are here too. And Sabre says, what the, what's the god of madness doing in our headquarters? As they're both completely confused. And the gym opens up in front of Izuma. And uh, we get some, uh, I guess, kanji? Uh, katakana? Hiragana? Anamanapia? That <laughs> says, gotcha! As Izuma stops. And Anera says, surprise! <laughs> you should have seen your face. You look like you've seen a ghost as Nanitsi has been <laughs> filming this whole thing. <laughs> the whole time and there's kind of flops on the ground and says oh phew playing a serious villain is so tiring and he says uh wait what what's going on and magu says what is the meaning of this uneris but didn't you read the sign you've been punked i was never going to seal away magu-chan and all we did was write invite ruru over for a dinner party rin's probably rescuing her and uh, like a knight in shining armor right about now so don't worry it was all an act as uh, magu Smacks her in the face. Uh, very well deserved. He says, You will not get away with such a vile joke. I apologize for our rudeness. Uh, this is uh, Gildabar, I think. Uh, as he picks up Magu-chan, he says, Although this was Oneris' idea, we take responsibility. We wanted you to unleash your full power to know for certain your true intentions. And uh, the tea guy says, We are the last humans who can seal away to superior beings. Given our position, we could not so easily trust you. And he says, you were testing us to see if my reports were false? And Anera says, now do you believe our reports, ten divine generals? Magu-chan and the others are getting along surprisingly well with humanity. And Izma is growing up to be an upstanding knight. And Gildabar says, it's true. I'm sorry for having said those cruel things, Izma. Forgive us cowardly adults. And Magu uh, freaks out says, this is unsatisfactory. My flesh was on the brink of ruin. And Anitsi says, even though I returned your power of destruction at an angle you could just barely dodge, I got so flustered when Izuma stormed in here. And Anitsi says, you really have gotten stronger. You were very impressive, Izuma. Izuma says, how dare you fool me, you evil god. <laughs> and so we flash over to Ruru and the gang. He says, ah, oh, glad you could make it too, Magu-chan. Turns out we're in a different country. I've never been abroad before. They said they were hosting a dinner party. <laughs> this is a very confused rant at the table. I've seen things like this on TV, but it sure feels exotic, doesn't it? And uh, he uh, smacks her in the head and says, You foolish, lowly human. Do not just go off with strangers like that. Huh? But Sarah's not a stranger. I see. So this is all you're doing. Uh, uh, oh, sorry. That was uh, Rin saying that. Uh, grabbing Uneris. says, I had no choice. The ten divine generals wouldn't believe me. And they all say, Sorry, it was just so hard to believe. After all the report was coming from Uneris, we thought for sure she was lying. 
Isn't it your fault for being so untrustworthy? The least we can do is apologize. Let us treat these rare guests from afar with a meal. First is the appetizer, the Holy Night Salad. And Apataka says, so these are the delicious uh, local delicacies then. Let's see now. <laughs> he eats it. It tastes like crap. <laughs> and they explain their valuable herbs that increase one's magic power. Mealtime is just another form of training. He says, sheesh, you are such warlike people. That doesn't lend me your kitchen. I'll show you what real cooking tastes like. And he makes um, some food for them. And they're all very excited about it. But Maguchan slips away and goes to a room. And we hear at least knock as we see Uneris's true form. And she's turned her back to him and says, I haven't put my on my face yet, so I don't want you looking at me. And he says, you shrunk, Uneris. Crafting all those magical items over the past 600 years has left you a shadow of your former self. Well, you could probably wipe my true form out right now. I wouldn't blame you for wanting to take revenge on me. So you invited me here knowing that? Why would you go to such lengths to support the likes of the Holy Knights? I told you, remember? I stand them. <laughs> and I'm surprisingly devoted. So, uh, I don't know if the, all these crosses are magical items or if they're gravestones. They're oddly tight together if they are, but uh, it's a little weird. You gotta stand something while you can still stand. <laughs> I will pardon my disciples' optimism this one time, but that doesn't mean my anger is abated. Take your punishment. It says, that suits you. Seems like we're still having trouble getting along. Oh, well. I'll take this punishment in stride. He has made a sign saying, I lied. <laughs> and put it over her face. And we get narration. And so the holy knights and the god of destruction made peace. And Izumo was once again assigned to his monitoring duties. After their dinner party, our heroes returned to their rural, uh, rural seaside town. And back to their normal, everyday lives. I kind of suspected something like this was happening behind the scenes. So, I, I really love this. I know there were some people complaining uh, about this chapter. Uh, well, these this little mini arc in the series. Saying, oh, it got too serious. And it's like, oh, it's suddenly a battle shown. And it's like, no, 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 no. Remember who's who's around here. Who's causing these things to happen. Uh, and Neris is being a troll. And that's just what she does. So, I enjoyed it very much. We'll move on to Mashal. Magic and Muscles. Mash Bernadette and the two wands. Well, well, well. At the end of the last chapter, Mash uh, tried to attack uh, Levis slash Rose Quartz or whatever the heck his name is. And, but uh, Dot commentates, says, Ah, he pulled out a chunk of magnet to soften Mash's punch. And Mash goes for another one. And he says, Uh uh, attract. As other guy is brought in front to be smashed by uh, Mash's punch <laughs> to protect. Uh, Rose and Dot says, he used his buddy as a shield? And he says, uh, Levis, wh why? And he says, ha ha ha, you're actually surprised? Didn't you know there can ever only be one winner? I've got one goal, to rise above you all. And do you think I care about how I get there? And other guy's thinking, Levis, as he has a flashback, he says, I intend to rule this world, but I need your powers to succeed. Will you assist me? When I'm finally on top, I'll have a position on the Bureau staff waiting for you, of course. You don't like the others. You belong on the winning team. Erika says, in the present, you bloody traitor. But before he can do anything, he's attacked by the metal uh, magnet ball spike thing. Levis says, me a traitor? Don't get more moralistic with me now. Besides, it's your fault for believing me, idiot. 
From day one, we're all out for ourselves. Friends, allies, you, Mushroom Head, Domina, the visionaries, I'll use every last one of you to reach the top. I'd sacrifice my own family if it meant certain victory. As he brandishes a second wand. Life's a competition. There's no room for naive ideals like trust. Got it? I'm sick of watching you two and your buddy-buddy act. Magnet selecting ball! <laughs> Mesh <laughs> gets a little freaked out. It's not magnets again. As they attract themselves to him, he's got a little in on him there. Says, huh? Nothing happened. But then he gets attacked by lightning uh, from the magnetic balls there. And lives continues. My second form of magic is lightning. Touch a magnet and you'll be subjected to a high voltage shock. Good luck flinging yourself at me now. It's over for you. Attract! And Mash runs away. Oh, says, nice try, but the faster you run, the faster they get as he gets shocked once more. Dot thinks, one touch and you're out? This is worse than a spike ball. I don't know how Mash will turn this one around. And Mash continues to run. It says, you can't escape. Then he runs uh, in a 90 degree turn. Now, before the magnets can catch him, they'll smash into the wall. Eleven says, it's no good. As even though they smash into the wall, they keep attacking Mash. And Dot thinks, they broke out of the wall. The chase is back on. How is he supposed to escape them? Eleven says, nice try. So, so sorry. But they won't stop till you're down for good. But then Mash takes off his shoe. <laughs> and he holds it by the strings. And he's swinging it around and around. And Dot says, uh, what? As he catches the magnet balls in his shoe. And then flings them away to above uh, where Levis is standing. Dot thinks, seriously? A hammer toss? Did he know his shoelaces would act as an insulator? Oh, no, this is uh, Levis thinking. Uh, he stopped my technique without even touching me. He's actually... But then Mash speaks, says, can I talk to you for a second? You said it's the other guy's fault for believing in you. But everyone knows that lying is the real jerk move, idiot. This is, this is getting fun. Another excellent chapter of Mashal this week. Uh, and next chapter, we have a lot to look forward to. <laughs> Just take this uh, advanced weaponry right now that's still in the experimental phase <laughs> with our technology used. And I'm all for it. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, we have two more manga left. Uh, My Hero Academia, 337. This is, uh, excuse me, number 337, A Disposable Life. Well, well, well. So we go back to Dobby and All for One. Dobby's asking friends, friends to spare, huh? <laughs> Aren't we screwed if one of your friends gets caught? And All for One says, not in the least. Say your 100 yen lighter fizzles out. What would you do? When my friends succeed, I rejoice. Should they fail, I think, oh, what a shame. And after that brief disappointment, I set, mo uh, I set move on uh, to the next viable route for my plan. They're less like friends and more like disposable tools. What a complete jerk. <laughs> I love just how, like, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Just how bluntly terrible. That's not the word, but I'll go with that. Awful one has been in these past couple of chapters. It's such a tool. And calling other people tools just makes him more of a tool. And he says, and I say, and I say hip hip hooray for any slight excitement they can inflict. <laughs> As we go over to uh, Deku Hagakure uh, facing off with the Aoyama family, as they try and get 
Yuga away from everyone, but uh, Deku ru rushes after them, and Ayama's thinking, Mama, Papa, my being quirkless cost you no small amount of dismay. Both of you came from wealthy, privileged families. I never wanted for anything in your own upbringings. And the two of you fretted over my being different from the other children, even more than I did. That's why, hoping against all hope and wishing only for my happiness, and we get, they say you can give quirks to others. You dared to believe a dubious rumor. I suffered at the hands of my new quirk, which was a poor fit for my body. While you, Maman and Papa, grappled with your own angst as you raised me. Because you feared my being different. My own dream sprang from that desire to conform. Yes, at some point I hope to give back, as you, as you two had done, uh, so much for me. And that is a typo. That needs to be a, a W in there and that too. Uh, and we get uh, Offer One's voice. So you'll be attending UA. They say All Might has been hired to teach at the school. Inform me when your class is going to be isolated. Tell me the location of your training camp. None of the Izuku Midori has returned to UA. Lure him somewhere alone. And Aoyama's inner monologue continues. Acting in service of others. In pursuit of their happiness. Giving up myself for everyone else's sake. And the present, he says, that note you left. When I learned that, like me, you were born quirkless, I fell into utter despair. And he activates his naval laser, but Deku uses one for all, and Hagakure manages to deflect it, so she did something. Good job, girl. And she says, my body lets me refract light. We could have been killed time after time, and now all of Japan is, like, totally messed up. So come on, enough, let's stop this, as Deku has used Black Whip to restrain everyone. And he says, just let this be over. And Hagakure continues, what was going through your head this whole time in school with us? As we see a bit of who she, of what she looks like, and surprise, surprise, she's a cute anime girl. <laughs> I know everyone was just floored by that revelation. And... She continues, living in the dorms with us even? Well, say something, Aoyama. And his parents protest, you have it wrong. Our dear Yuga would only ever... But Deku uses Black Whip again to uh, suppress him. He says, listen, Aoyama, Hagakure. Hagakure just did you a favor. She doesn't want you hurting anyone else, okay? And we flash forward to them all uh, bound as Sukauchi, uh, All Might, Present Mike, uh, Nezu, and Ectoplasm are there. And Sukuchi says, I got the gist. He gave the boy a quirk and took control of the family. That quirk was granted about a decade ago. The fact that the kid's sitting here in one piece tells us that he's not rigged to blow in case of betrayal where Nagant was. And Nezu says, may I ask you children to leave the room? <laughs> but Todoroki says, no, you may not. And Kamenari says, this makes no freaking sense. What were you planning? Uh, this is Ojiro. What were you planning if, if Agakure hadn't caught you? And Kirishima says, come on, Aoyama, tell us it's all bullcrap, dude. And Bakuka says, another one of us who started out quirkless. Small world, huh? And Sukuguchi says, sadly, we're still struggling to restore law and order, so you need to tell us every last thing you know about all for one. And the dad says, we know nothing. He makes his request and we obey, that's all. Should we fail, he'll kill us. If we lie to him, we're dead. Kill you, how? He gave us a demonstration of what happens to those who defy him. It was some lackey who'd surrendered to the police. They were killed soon after leaving prison, so they couldn't escape him. Wherever we run, he'll find us and make us face our doom. 
Yuka had no way of knowing what would happen each time he followed those orders. He only knew that he mustn't fall under suspicion. We're the ones to blame. Your desk could have very well been on my head, and yet... Uh, this is uh, Aoyama speaking. And yet, I found myself smiling alongside you all, as if we were truly friends. Then we learned Midoriya was once also corkless. Yet he faces the crushing task that is standing up to all for one. I despaired when I realized how pathetic I am compared to him. Rather than express for concern for Midoriya, I wallowed in my own misery, which sent me spiraling even deeper. To the core, I'm rotten. I, Yuka Aoyama, am a villain through and through. But Deku interrupts. I says, oh yeah, then why did you try to save Kachan and Tokuyami back in the forest? As forever ago, when uh, the League attacked them, uh, Aoyama did get the courage to fight back and managed to save Tokuyami from being taken as well as Bakugo. And a cheese you left me that night. The one that said, I know. Did All for One order you to do that too? Huh? Of course not. I'm kicking myself for not realizing that was your SOS to me. And the reason you're bawling your eyes out now clearly isn't because you failed All for One. I happen to know a hero who got manipulated by him. But even she didn't sell her soul, whole soul when we see an image of Nagant. Her spirit was crushed. That's all. Doing wrong doesn't make you a villain for the rest of your life. Take my hand, Aoyama. If nothing else, maybe we can steer them. Oh, this is Bakugo thinking. Deku, I get it now. And Deku continues. You can still be a hero. So, my thoughts on this. Uh, especially in light of what I know in the next chapter is going to happen. I'll probably discuss it more there, too. This is a little... That's what I'm looking for. Um, not naive. All that kind of plays a part. Um, cynical versus... Oh, gosh. Why am I having... Uh, why am I having such a really hard time with all of this? As I am buying time. Uh, optimistic. <laughs> Naively optimistic. That's why, thank God uh, for Google. <laughs> How can I not remember the word optimistic? Naively optimistic of Deku. And I like that to an extent, but it's also... Uh, now I've got to find another word I'm looking for here as I get tongue-tied once more. It's con no, not convenient. Oh, well. It is what it is. And I'm not liking some of the direction where Horikoshi is going with this. It's too neat. It's too easy on someone who could have legitimately gotten all of them killed at several times over. And I understand uh, uh, Deku's point instantly. Like, uh, as someone who has had to learn over the years what does forgiveness actually mean to offer forgiveness to someone else who has wronged you immensely uh, and that is something I am called to do uh, as a follower of Christ you know I get that and I we get to the point there's this false idea of forgive and forget as if that is some biblical principle which it's not it is Forgive, but also know that it happened, so it could happen again. I don't. And when you forgive someone, it's not in a way of, oh, well, 
well, you stole from me before and I'm never going to let you live it down versus you stole from me. I'm going to make it so it can't happen again, both for your sake and mine. That's the smart way to handle it. It's like, oh, well, you lied to me. Uh, well, I'm going to forgive you for lying to me, but it's going to be that much harder for me to trust everything that comes out of your mouth from now on. And Deku is in a forgive and forget mode here, which is painfully naive. And, I mean, that's a part of who he is, but at the same time, it, it's a little grating. And I want Aoyama to be redeemed. I, I want him to join everyone and uh, be a part of UA, uh, Class 1A, and uh, join the fight against All for One again. And, but it's too easy, the way it's happening right now. This is something, uh, I've heard tale. I think I may have mentioned this before, that uh, My Hero Academia is supposedly ending within a year or two. Which, I mean, could happen. I mean, that's 50-some chapters. It'd be a little rushed for my taste. But I've also heard rumors as well that it's kind of a uh, Chainsaw Man kind of situation where it's ending, but it's setting up for a sequel. You know, Horikoshi will just take his time and, you know, return to it, kind of like what Fujimoto has been doing. Um, that way he can rest, because, um, like we've mentioned before, like the mangaka life is horrendous, and they need way more rest and relaxation than they get. So, if that's true, maybe I'll be okay with it. Or maybe, maybe none of that is true, and, like, it'll actually take two years for for this to get done and we'll get the proper send-off we deserve but if he's rushing towards an ending it's kind of what that feels like right now if that is true and i'm not a fan of that like i said i am a fan of forgiveness i'm a fan especially uh, of showing forgiveness to people who do not deserve it because i have never deserved forgiveness once and that's kind of the core concept of my belief system is that no one deserves redemption but it is still uh, and forgiveness but it is still offered freely by Jesus' sacrifice so obviously not a big reason for why Deku is doing what he's doing but I'm just trying to come from where I'm coming from so you can understand so I don't know uh, I, I still do like this chapter uh, I like Aoyama's backstory uh, it makes perfect sense in context uh, with the way that his quirk has always rebelled against his body. So for it to have been gifted to him and for Awful One to have actually had it at one point in time, <laughs> it, it, that just makes me laugh. Um, imagining him with a uh, naval laser at some point in time. Uh, but to see, like, and it really works as for him and Deku to become foils for one another for similar situations, but like both being gifted with a quirk later in life than everyone else would have, you know, gotten theirs originally, how their own bodies rejected it. I've always, ever since that reveal was in the one sixties where Aoyama told, uh, Izuku about all this. I've been a huge fan of that, uh, a huge fan of them becoming friends. So, uh, I, I did want to end on a positive note and I, I do like this chapter. It's just, the way things are going, I'll, I'll talk more when we record uh, the next episode. So we'll move on from all of that. 
to Spy Family. Uh, chapter, excuse me, Mission 57. <laughs> so Anya has returned to school and she's <clears throat> meeting with Mackie. It's a, uh, she says, hello, Anya, how have you been? Said, uh, good morning. Well, you look a little tan. When'd you go over to break? Ah, is that what you wish to know, milady? So be it. And she looks back to Damien, who's sitting behind them. The tale you seek is a grand saga set upon the sea. Little did I realize the adventure I had embarked upon. And Rex is she doing some sort of role play? <laughs> when I crossed the gangplank onto the grandest luxury liner in all of Estonia. And we get reaction panels of everyone freaking out. And Damien comes down to talk to her, but this is all in her head. <laughs> And then Becky says, oh, so nothing special, huh? <laughs> but yeah, Anya protests. You bet it was special. That ship was huge. You mean the Princess Lorelei, right? Yeah, I sailed on it before school started. It was okay, I guess. We stayed in the Imperial Suite, but all the furnishings seemed a little tacky to me. Papa and I stayed in the third-class prison cell. <laughs> and we get Damien's minions behind her laughing. I can imagine traveling third class and not being embarrassed to say it out loud. Sometimes I almost feel sorry for the pleasantry. <laughs> The peasantry. And <laughs> we get a great Anya reaction panel of her freaking out. And he continues, I spent the other day in a helicopter soaring through the skies of Monk. It was delightful. And the other minion says, We stayed at the first class hotel in Bayon and ate one five star meal after another. And um, uh, he continues, says, Oh, so what? I told my dad I wanted to meet the starlet Rachel, so we got her to party with me. It was so much fun. There were like a hundred people there. And she gave me presents and told me all the backstage gossip about the show. And all the other kids are excited about her. And Anya is getting upset. She says, what, y yeah, but on my boat, there were like a hundred of those infamous villains ever. <laughs> and villains? Like, from what show? Oh, who are we talking about here? Yeah, tell us, tell us. She says, some of them even seem to be from foreign lands. Fine, I'll give you an example. Sickly Chain. Bartleby. <laughs> they both all go, who? And uh, uh, she panics. She says, uh, uh, well, there was Swamp Man who commanded elephants. And we get narration. Uh, not true. And Swoop Man who could teleport. Also not true. And she gets asked, were they a circus troop or something? She says, villains. Notorious villains. And they all laugh at her. And, you uh, Say, oh, you got attacked by pirates. Oh, you poor thing. But then they say, oh, well, if that was true, they would have been on the news. She realizes, oh, right, that's right. They covered up all the bad guy stuff that, ha that happened on the cruise. And she says, oh, no, no, no. They kept it all off the news, you see. Because there were secret bad guys even the government didn't know about. Twisted villains who came from beneath the sea itself. The Octo People. <laughs> and she imagines uh, uh, Bartleby... Uh, as one of these octave people. She says, Luckily, I heroically stabbed every last one of them to death. Well, well my mom did. <laughs> but everyone has ignored her, and they're talking to Becky about uh, what she uh, had gone through as Damien's minions are uh, they're both talking. Wow, she really is something. Quite the fabulist indeed. It's almost impressive anyway. And Damien says, Yeah, I could watch this all day. <laughs> and we know why he wants to. As the teacher comes in, and he's told about uh, uh, Anya's escapades, and he says, "Yeah, yeah, sure. Did she now? The good for her." And Anya panics, 
And as they leave class, she's very upset. A lot of, a lot of secondhand shame in this cap chapter. <laughs> We've all been there making a story to sound more impressive. And it's obvious when people know that we're lying, you know, just to sound impressive. Uh, but Becky is, you know, patting her on the back saying, listen, Anya, I totally get it. It's human nature to want to puff yourself up sometimes. And if that helps you become the person you want to be, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, oh, gosh, what is this guy's name? Um, was it George? Uh, George? I'm going to call him George for the heck of it. It's probably not his name. Uh, he was the guy who had thought that he was being forced to move away or that he was losing his status or something like that. And so everyone gave him gifts before he could leave, but it finds out uh, that he would just had misunderstood what his dad was saying. So he had to give everything back. Uh, but he says to us, they're walking past, but be careful not to lie too much or you'll end up becoming an outcast like me. <laughs> As Anya leaves and goes back home and Yuri is there. Uh, it says, you're, oh, you're, it's really you. I haven't seen you in so long. And Lloyd's kind of thinking to himself, must he be so loud? And Yor gives him a souvenir. He says, I will cherish it for the rest of my life. And Anya returns. And Yor sees the look on her face. Oh, is something wrong, Anya? And so, oh, so your classmates mocked you for falsely boasting about your trip. She says, I even cried a little bit. And Lord asks, why did you feel the need to lie in the first place? And she's thinking, oh, yes, for plan B's sake. And then in her uh, thought, she says, how do you know about that? <laughs> so she lies and says, I just wanted detention. Uh, so Lloyd is thinking about his response. And he goes to his, uh, in his mind, it, his normal spy response of telling casual lies whenever the impulse strikes is a dangerous habit. Deception must be pursued strategically. And you must commit to it completely. You stick your very life upon it. A proper lie requires plausible details in order to be convincing, as well as at least a kernel of truth. When telling an audacious falsehood, uh, <laughs> but then we get to reality, he says, uh, um, you see, lying is wrong. <laughs> and uh, you're just thinking the same thing. Uh, it's like, I deal with liars every day, and they're worthless trash, the whole lot of them. They're nothing but parasites eating away at our nation. Me? Well, yes, I lie about who I am, but that's for your sake. Anything would be righteous if it's for your... But he says out loud, yeah, liars are trash. And your out loud says, yes, you should be comfortable with yourself just the way you are. I know, you, I know you'll get along with everyone if you're honest. And all three of them are panicking inwardly because all three of them are huge liars. That's just how the series rolls. <laughs> And Anya has a perfect reaction face. And she kind of nods and says, Being a liar does seem pretty rough. I'll try to stop. <laughs> uh, what an excellent chapter to end this episode on. You gotta love Spy Family. Uh, I don't want to meet the man who doesn't. So, that will be the end of our episode tonight. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we are Starving Writers Guild. We are writers helping other writers to help publish your own work. Uh, you can find our stuff on servingwriterskill.com as well as on Amazon. Uh, you can find us. We are MC Ashley, John Transylvania, and Barbara Page. Uh, if you can, help us out with the podcast by leaving a five-star review on your platform of choice. It would be excellent and help us find more people out there. I've got to remember to tweet out because I forget to do these things. You can follow us on Twitter at the Starving Writers Guild Anime, Manga, and Comics Podcast. And let's see, I do believe that's about it. So until next time, see ya.